three primary ways that God wants to show himself to us. Elohim, as we talked about before, is uh, rendered with uh, uppercase G, lowercase O-D. I gave you an insert uh, in the bulletin. You can look at it, a bookmark, keep it with you if you want to. Every time you come to the Old Testament and you see that word God rendered like that, you know it's Elohim. Uh, Yahweh is given as Lord. L-O-R-D, all uppercase. The O-R-D is smaller in size, but it's still uppercase. Adonai is uh, uh, Lord again, but it's uh, uppercase L, lowercase O-R-D. Still the same word, but presented differently. Each of these three primary names expresses something unique about the person of God. Unique aspects as to who he is. Unique about how we relate to him. Elohim uh, is a generic name. There There are many Elohims. Allah, the, the God of Islam, is an Elohim. Uh, Baal, the, the uh, God that was so prevalent, prevalent in the Middle East, uh, uh, the ancient Middle East, is, a, is an Elohim. Elohim reveals God as a, a powerful and intelligent being. A uh, mighty and a, a wise God. Uh, someone whose uh, intellect and power are, are off the scale. Words like uh, omnipotent and omniscient come into play with this name. Elohim, whose power and intelligence is exposed in the fact that he creates. He's the author of creation. He has uh, capabilities to create the most minute and intricate things of of DNA. And yet the most powerful powerful things like tornadoes and volcanoes. And he has the power to hold everything together, to, to keep it working. Power that's off the scale. Paul says that we can know God just by the fact of creation. Have you ever thought about that? We can know God just by the fact of of creation. You want to see it? It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Uh, Paul is writing this uh, great treatise on uh, uh, righteousness, and he opens it with this thought The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. The fact of creation is enough for us to know God. To know what we need to know about God. And transversely, it's enough for us to condemn us if we don't, if we ignore it. So the heathen is without excuse. That's uh, Elohim in brief. Let's uh, look again uh, briefly at uh, Yahweh. 
Yahweh brings a, a, a whole slew of additional, uh, of additional insights into our understanding of who God is. Yahweh reveals God for his abstract attributes, uh, the kind of things that can only be realized by a creature who is, is capable of abstract thought, him or herself. People like you and me. Yahweh reveals God in all his holiness, in all his righteousness, and in all his love. The Jew in particular identified with this name because of what took place uh, uh, on Mount Sinai. Especially the holiness and righteousness, righteousness aspects. Not so much the love. They, they overemphasized his, his holiness and, and his righteousness and they, they devalued his love. Now we, on the other hand, do the opposite, don't we? We devalue his righteousness, his holiness, and we over-inflate his love. I don't know if that's quite the right way to describe it, but we overbalance his love. We don't get it right. They didn't get it right. We're both wrong. If you overemphasize his righteousness, you lose out on all the other aspects of his character. We uh, minimize his holiness. We fail to understand who he is. We minimize his righteousness. And in so doing, we, we, we have an unbalanced understanding of who God is. We need to understand God in the totality of his being. One of the things I hope to accomplish with this study is to help balance our understanding of who God is. I've heard people say, oh, don't talk to me about that God of the Old Testament. I don't want to hear it. He's, he's judgmental. He's wrathful. Oh, I, I don't want to hear about that God. I only want to hear about a God of love. That's all I want to hear. Don't talk to me about that Old Testament God. Folks, this is wrong. It's unbalanced. If you miss the God of the Old Testament, you misunderstand who God is altogether. If all you do is look at the God you want to see, You'll never see him as he really is. In fact, a, a lot of people have nothing but a jello god. You know what a jello god is, don't you? You take a mold, a mold that you design, whatever shape you want it to be, and you pour jello into it, and then you let it solidify, and you have a jello god. If you don't like him that way, you take it out and you melt it down, you get another mold, and you pour him into another mold. A lot of people have a jello god, a god of their fanciful thinking. We would be good to look at the Jew and their level of reverence and understand that there is a basis for this too. We would uh, do ourselves a favor if we would realize that in our day we have uh, overemphasized his love and, and devalued his righteousness and holiness. The fact is, they all work in unison. They all work together. None of them operate in isolation. In fact, if you understand the story of uh, the greatest story ever told, the crucifixion, Jesus going to the cross, we like to think of it as a story of love. Very seldom do you hear somebody say, no, it's a story of uh, righteousness. Look at the two verses before uh, what we just looked at in Romans. Look at the uh, verses uh, uh, 16 and 17, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You see, he's talking about the gospel, the good news. 
because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, what does it say? A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. By the way, that uh, the righteous will live by faith is a quote from uh, the book of Habakkuk. Three New Testament books are written off of that quote. Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. The gospel, God's supreme expression of love, the cross of Christ, is only understood rightly when it's understood as a, a, a statement of his righteousness. People who don't realize this miss out on this elemental truth. One of the most elemental truths of the New Testament. God, God's love does not happen apart from his righteousness. And neither do his love and righteousness happen apart from his holiness. This brings us to the third of the three primary names, Adonai. What is it that God wants us to to know from this uh, third of his primary names? What is it that uh, he's trying to communicate? Why this name? Weren't the other two sufficient in what they were saying, what they were explaining about God, what they were revealing? Or is there something more he wants us to know, wants us to learn, wants us to realize? Something more that we need to mentally and personally take the task. Uh, Adonai appears uh, only 439 times in the Old Testament. When you compare this with the uh, 2,600 times that uh, Elohim appears and the uh, 6,823 times that uh, Yahweh appears, it, it might seem that Adonai is the least of the three. Less important, right? Wrong. This is not the case. Adonai is every bit as important to our knowledge of who God is as the other two. And I might suggest perhaps even more so. Why? Because Adonai is in many ways the most personal of the three primary names. Let's begin. Let's look at uh, what the word Adonai means. The, the root word is Adon. It means master or lord. Uh, a slave has a master or a lord that he or she serves. A, a household has a, a lord that's over the household. A, a husband-wife is depicted in Scripture as, as her lord. Adon is a name that can refer to men. It can refer to angels. And as we shall see, it can refer to the the Lord God himself. So somewhat like Elohim, it's a, a generic name. It has a, a broad application. As such, there's nothing much revolutionary, nothing much questionable in its meaning. It means master, it means Lord. The understanding is simple. Even so, don't get lost in the simplicity of its definition. There are aspects to the name Adonai that weigh heavy. 
on our relationship with our God. By uh, definition, Adonai implies the master's right to obedience from his servant. But, and don't miss this, it also uh, expresses the, or expects the servant's right to proper direction and service. But the master will enable him or her to serve rightly. So it's a two-way street, isn't it? It's a relationship. A number of years ago, Matt Woodley uh, writes, when uh, I was playing a, a men's softball game, the, the umpire made a call that incensed our coach. My coach didn't agree with the umpire's interpretation of the specific league rule that he was enacting. The game stopped, and a, and a heated discussion ensued. Finally, the umpire pulled the rule book out of his back pocket and he, he, he turned to page 27, paragraph 3B in section 1. And he said, to, as you can see clearly, this rule means my call must stand. The coach, uh, unconvinced, uh, yelled, you're not interpreting that rule correctly. To which uh, the umpire replied, excuse me, I think I should know. I wrote the rule book. <laughs> After an awkward silence, uh, the coach walked back to the bench, shaking his head and pointing to the referee. Get a hold of that guy, he said. He wrote the rule book. What a great illustration for us at this point in this study. The Lord wrote the rule book. He, he created us, and in creating us, he knows what it takes for us to work best, for us to be blessed best. Get a hold of that guy. That's what we need to do. We need to get a hold of him with our lives and in our minds and in our hearts. He knows best what it takes for us to function properly. He knows best what it is for us to be happy and blessed. There's something else uh, to be noted in defining the name Adonai. Uh, it's Adonai's AI ending. Uh, it's a plural ending. Uh, this plurality can be understood in, in a couple ways. Uh, one is uh, 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 one and yet more than one. The Hebrew, there's two Hebrew words for for one, one just means one singular, and there's another, ikad, which means one, yet more than one. But that applies here. The other way that Adonai, uh, that ending can be applied, is that uh, it, it magnifies. Uh, it's plural in its magnification. In this case, majesty. The majesty of God. It's not just majesty. It's majesty, 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 amplified upon itself. God's a majestic God, an awesome God. You and I certainly recognize the majesty and wonder of our glorious God, how manifold it is, how awesome and beyond everything he is, how majestic he is in what he does. We also uh, recognize that uh, one can talk of the Trinity, don't we? One and yet more than one, the, the triune God. 
one God in three persons. There is another aspect to that ending, that AI ending, that plural ending. It's not in plural, it's not only plural, but it's possessively plural, as in my Lord. Possessively plural, my Lord. You see, there's a Lord, there may even be the Lord, and then there's my Lord. Much like a husband or wife, there's a lot of husband and wives in this room, but there's also my wife in this room. It's a name that denotes relationship. You see, uh, while Elohim can be known impersonally, Adonai is personal. While uh, Yahweh can be dealt with in a purely abstract, theoretical way, we can know His righteousness, His holiness, His love, all the other aspects, of the fact that He's a jealous God, all the other aspects of the name. We can talk about it just really in the theoretical, in the abstract. Adonai is my Lord. Lord of my life. Lord of all I am and do. I am His and, and He is mine. And as such, I obey Him. Get a little too personal? Brian into your life a little bit? I'll bet. Yeah, we like to talk abstractly, don't we? Way up there. We like to talk theoretically, don't we? We don't want to talk in reality that's down here in our life, in the muck and goo of our life. Yeah, muck is a theological word. I'm sure it is. I didn't look it up, but I'm sure it is. Kathy always talked about the muck and goo of my life. You see, it's about the reality of what I give myself to or what I refuse to give myself to. What I serve and what I don't serve. What I spend my, my life, my time, my energy, and how I don't spend my life, my time, and my energy. And this may be the exact reason that Adonai is so little used in the Bible. You see, even in the Old Testament, few wanted to deal with this aspect of who God is. Why? Because our lives are our lives. When we fell, Satan said, you'll be your own God. And that's what we became. We want to be the Lord of our own lives. Uncomfortable? Crowding your comfort zones? Everyone who has, everyone who is a theist has an Elohim. An Elohim in some sense of the word. Some of those have come to realize God is Yahweh. But in a purely academically, academic, theoretical sense. Adonai, however, by its very meaning, must be personalized. It must be relationally personalized. There's no way that Adonai can be known unless the individual personally places themselves in subjection to the lordship of God. Dare I use the word submission? The dreaded S word? I have news for you. Submission is a good, solid, biblical word. A healthy, relational, biblical word. Genesis 15, verse 2. But Abram said, O sovereign Adonai, 
See, now you wouldn't know that's Adonai unless you knew how to translate that, that word, would you? O sovereign Adonai, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my, my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? That's an interesting play on it. Do you remember who Eleazar of Damascus is? He's his slave. The chief slave in his house. And if Abraham has no children, guess who inherits all his wealth? And Abraham was a wealthy man. Very few, even in Scripture, have come to this understanding of who God is. Adonai moves from the question of, of who God is to uh, the question of how do I relate to him? There's a shift. A fundamental, monumental shift. A relational shift in the person of God. A shift that rudely breaks into our, our comfort zones. You see, you can be saved and never give him lordship of your life. Want an example? Listen to this example. Moses. Do you remember Moses at the burning bush? <laughs> he didn't want to do what God was calling him to do. Exodus 4, verse 10. And Moses said to the Yahweh. You see, that's the word for Lord there. Yahweh. Oh, Adonai, do you see how it moves? You see the message it brings? The insight it adds to the scripture? Moses said to the Yahweh, Oh, Adonai, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. I don't want to do this, God. Get it off my shoulder. Send somebody else. Moses realized the, the relational truth of Adonai, but he wanted to worm out of the situation. He calls on Adonai his master. But he literally refuses the ramifications of the name. What about you? Are you refusing to give the Lord his rightful place in your life? Are you refusing to submit yourself to his call upon your life? Ray Ortland talks about it this way. He says, you and I are not integrated, unified, whole persons. Our hearts are multi-divided. It's like we have a boardroom in every heart. Imagine a, a big table, leather chairs, coffee, bottled water, and a whiteboard. A committee sits around the table in your heart. There's the social self, the uh, private self, the work self, the sexual self, the recreational self, the, the religious self, and others. The committee is arguing and debating and voting, constantly agitated and upset. Rarely can they come to a unanimous, wholehearted decision. We tell ourselves we're this way because we're so busy with so many responsibilities. But the truth is we're just divided, unfocused, and unfree. And then Orton says this kind of person can accept Jesus in two ways. One is to invite him into the, the committee room. Invite him in and give him a vote. But then he'll just become one more complication among all the others in the decision-making process. 
The other way to accept Jesus is to say to him, my life isn't working. Come in and fire my committee. Every last one of them, I hand myself over to you. I am your responsibility now. Please run my whole life for me. This addresses the name Adonai. Who is at the helm of your life? Comfort zones being crowded, a little, little hot, a little stuffy in here, is it? Are you uncomfortable with this whole discussion? I'll bet, and I know because I get uncomfortable when we talk about it too. You see, the problem is we don't want to give the Lord His due place. Why? Because we have to get up and move out of the way. And we don't like being deposed. We don't like being dethroned. We're the gods of our own lives. We're the Lord we serve. There's the rub. The contradiction. The, the, the point of friction. We choose not to give God his place in his life because we serve another God ourselves. Isn't that what Satan told us he was going to do when we fell? Christopher J.H. Wright says, The worst thing about idols, as the Hebrew scriptures so tirelessly point out, is that they're utterly useless when you need them most. How many times do the gods you serve need to fail you before you realize you need to turn your life over to the one who never fails? To realize that Adonai God, the Lord God, is your master. And he deserves that due place in your life. You see, you were created to serve the Lord. That's what life is all about. That's your created purpose. Few of us realize it. Few of us personalize it. <coughs> and few of us live in the delight of it. I hope you heard me right, the delight of it. Yes, therein we find God's delight in our lives. I came across this this week. It uh, was under the title, A Parable About Missing the Obvious. It's a story of a, a customs uh, officer who watches a, a man pull up in a truck. And he says to himself, this guy's smuggling something. So he goes over and he pulls the guy out of the car and he searches the car, the truck, uh, pulls the panels off, pulls the hubcaps off. He looks everywhere he can look, but he doesn't find anything. So he waves the guy on. Next week, the guy shows up again, driving his truck. And the officer says, this guy is smuggling something. So he runs him through the same thing again. But guess what? He doesn't find a thing, so he waves the guy on. Over the years, this uh, customs officer, he tries body searches, he tries x-ray, he tries sonar, he has uh, dogs that uh, can smell things. And he never finds any illicit cargo. Nothing. And for years he waves the guy on and it just grates against him. 
Finally, uh, this officer is due to retire. He's Next week he's going to retire and up pulls his friend in the truck. So he, uh, he says, I, I tell you what, I know you're, you're a smuggler. I, I know you're pulling something illicit, but I can't figure out what it is. I've, I've tried to find it all these years and I can't find it. Tell you what, I won't arrest you. I won't, uh, I won't let anybody else arrest you. You'll be safe. Just tell me what you've been smuggling. And the guy says, you, you promise not to arrest me? He says, I guarantee it. There will be no legal ramifications from this at all. He says, okay, trucks. <laughs> I've been smuggling trucks. How often is it we miss the obvious? How long before we realize the, the blessing of his lordship? How many gods will we have to, to serve before we discover the futility of it all? The Lord, the God is, is the Lord. A place he rightly deserves in our life, lives and yet we miss it. I'm going to close with one other scripture. It's uh, Matthew 26, 24. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking. He says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. The question we need to ask ourselves is... Uh, who or what God do we serve? Who or what God do we love? Who or what God do we despise? And which end of the spectrum is the Lord on? Bow with me.